Good afternoon. It's All Saints Day. And so why not talk about saints, talk about holiness, talk about what the objective is of the Christian life, which is, of course, what? Conformity to Christ. So we has his life living within us. So let me tell you a story. Jacques Maritain, one of the 20th century's greatest Catholic philosophers and thinkers, played a defining role uh, in developing the United Nations Declaration on Human Rights. Well, back in the summer of 1901, he and his future wife, Raisa, were studying the sciences, uh, the natural sciences in Paris, and they had developed an intellectual infection, uh, scientific materialism. And that's the belief that life is nothing but impersonal matter, randomly in motion, no soul, no purpose, no meaning. And the couple had fallen into a pretty deep despair. In fact, so, so much so that they swore a suicide pact if within a certain period of time they failed to find any purpose in this materialistic universe. A friend of theirs brought them to a series of lectures by a a famous French philosopher, Henri Bergson. And after listening to Bergson, they began to say, well, maybe we can believe, honestly believe, that life is more than matter in motion. And then they also visited an eccentric genius, a novelist by the name of Leon Bloy, who also lived in Paris, and he had a reputation for spiritual wisdom. They developed friendship, and in 1906, June, in fact, of 1906, Bloy became their godfather, and they were received into full communion to the Catholic Church. That's, again, Jacques Maritain and his wife, Raisa. Bloy's novel, The Poor Woman, closes with a very famous line. The only sadness is not to be saints. The point behind it is that to be less than a saint is to be less than the man or woman you were created to be. This is the ultimate sadness. It's the ultimate despair. We were created for communion with God, and this requires our sanctity. It's not proud, it's not arrogant to aspire to be what God created you to be. And he created you to be a saint. He created us to be perfectly conformed to Christ. We are the people that he created to know and do his will. And yet you hear people say, and this includes Catholics, oh, I can't, I can't live a life like that. I mean, what, what, what do you think I am, a saint? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the call to holiness and perfection and maturity is for all of us. It's the universal call to holiness. It's not the elite call to holiness. It's not just religious and ordained who get called to holiness. And St. Paul addresses this uh, this in, in his letters uh, regularly. I mean, he's writing to the, the wayward, confused, <clears throat> immoral Christians in Corinth or Thessalonica or Philippi. And he says, to all God's beloved who are called to be saints, or I, Paul, write to you, the saints of Corinth. Now, the Corinthian Christians were among the most confused and corrupt of the churches, and yet St. Paul says, holy ones, saints. He calls them saints even before they've fully become what Christ has called them to be. He calls them saints in anticipation that Christ isn't going to stop until he finishes his work of redemption in them. So even in the New Testament, the word saint is applied to all believers, those who have been united through baptism with Christ. 
It's only later in the history of the church that we apply the word saint to those who are, quote, canonized and held up as public models for us. But in the first century, saint applied to all those who had been sanctified, set apart by baptism and faith in Christ. So let me demystify this word saint just a little bit here. It can mean holy one, it can be called saint, it can be set apart one. In Hebrew, Old Testament Hebrew, and also New Testament Greek, the word for translated holy one or saint means set apart. It means different. It means peculiar. It means uncommon. The saint participates in the otherness of God, the, the metaphysical otherness of God and the moral otherness of God. He is, uh, God is metaphysically and morally other than this world that he created, right? And so the saints are also supposed to be distinct from this world, both morally and because of their union with Jesus metaphysically. Now, holiness is, is commanded throughout the Old Testament. I mean, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So this is right at the Exodus, after the Exodus, excuse me. I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. Do not make yourselves unclean, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, as I, the Lord your God, am holy. And you find this throughout the uh, the Mosaic books. Uh, Leviticus 11, Leviticus 19, uh, be ye holy, for I am holy. That phrase comes from Leviticus. And at that time in Hebrew history, it was an urgent command because there was sin in the camp of Israel, and God's plans were being thwarted because the people of God were carnal. They were fleshly. They were corrupt. Israel had been called out of Egypt to be a holy people, a peculiar people, a distinct people. They were supposed to be modeling a different, a peculiar way of life from the surrounding nations. Now, it's just as true today that if God's plan is to be accomplished in our generation, then he needs vessels that are sanctified, cleansed, different, distinct, peculiar by the word standards, not, quote, normal. Christians are supposed to be not quite in step with the world. We're supposed to be marching to a different drummer. We uh, are formed by a kingdom not of this world. So in the Old Testament, this was true, and in the New Testament, it's true. So Peter, in his first letters, writes, Be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I, that is the Lord, is holy. Uh, St. Paul to the Thessalonians, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, or your holiness. Here's a a statement uh, pretty sobering. Without holiness, no man shall see God. So how important is holiness? Well, without it, you can't see God. In the Old Testament, holiness is mentioned a thousand times. In the New Testament, 300 times. It's important. And the way to get a handle on this is to go back to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The most common word to describe a follower of Jesus is disciple. And disciple is a learner. That's what the word means. Disciple is learner or student. The saint is the disciple at the end of the process. 
He's the one who's been fully shaped by the master, not by the world, not by the surrounding society. But as Jesus said, when a disciple is fully trained or formed, he will be like his master. Even though the disciple is in the world, he's not of the world. He's other than the world. His kingdom is not of this world because his master's kingdom is not of this world. And this is what leads to St. Paul saying, the 12th chapter of Romans, the first verse, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be squeezed into the mold of the world's priorities and values. You are being shaped by the master of this universe. So this indispensable quality for the saint is non-conformity to the world. Saints aren't afraid of being different. They're not afraid of not fitting in. They, in fact, they know they don't fit in. Uh, they wake up one day and they realize, hmm, I'm not that well adjusted to this world. I mean, they might be I mean, generous, kind. Uh, they might be joyful, even playful. But when all is said and done, the world looks upon the saint as being someone with a very different set of priorities. Money, sex, and power are not what they live for. Now, is this too lofty? Is it too mysterious? And the answer is no. We are called to be disciples. We've been invited to be disciples so that we might become saints. You know, this is not just a matter of partaking of the sacraments. It's a matter of allowing the grace that comes through the sacraments to change our attitudes and behaviors. And how does this happen? Well, (laughs) we're working out our salvation. God's at work within us. We're not alone. That's the first thing to keep in mind. You don't get to do this on your own. It's the Holy Spirit prompting you. Uh, Your hunger for God your admiration, adoration of Jesus, your desire to be a disciple of the Master. That is the work of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. So keep that in mind. This is not merely your work. It's Christ's work within us. And the easiest way to get started on this is, I think, just pick up the Bible and start to get a picture of what you're supposed to look like. What is the saint on earth supposed to look like? Get a good picture. Read the Beatitudes. Poor in spirit, meek, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted for righteousness' sake. Again, because you're out of step with the world, you don't quite fit in. Rejoicing in tribulation, uh, light of the world, salt of the earth. That person's you. (laughs) Don't think that that's somebody else. That's you. The Beatitudes are a description of what every one of us as a Christian is supposed to be. This isn't for exceptional Christians. Our Lord doesn't say that he's painting a picture of what certain outstanding characters are going to uh, be. Uh, It's a description of every single Christian, every single disciple. You know, Catholics, I think, often allow our priests and our nuns and our canonized saints to kind of do the heavy lifting here. You know, when, when we let them do the heavy lifting on sanctity, we let ourselves off the hook. Wrong dead wrong. Take Again, get familiar with the scriptures here, and you'll find out that St. Paul is saying, you're an apprentice to Jesus. You're his disciple. So Romans eight twenty nine, 
For those whom God the Father foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. John 13, For I, the Master Jesus, gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Romans 13, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, put on the Master. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1. Be imitators of me, St. Paul says, just as I also am of Jesus. Be imitators of God, he writes, as beloved children. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. For you have been called for this purpose, Peter says. Since Christ also suffered for you, he left you an example for you to follow in his steps. These are the apprenticeship verses. This is our fundamental identity. This is the heart of the new evangelization, transformation in Christ. We're going to talk about it in the next segment as well. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta on this All Saints Day. We're talking about holiness, sanctity, becoming a saint. And that's really what we are called to be. We really have to keep this in mind. I think one of the biggest problems in my life growing up, and I never, I actually didn't accomplish it uh, until I was quite old, but as a kid, when I heard about this stuff, holiness, be a saint, you know, all, to me, it really was joyless. It, it sounded like the church was saying, obey the rules. No, that's not what the church is saying. Yes, of course, obey the rules, but that's not holiness. That's legalism. What the church is saying, be different. Be transformed in Christ. Find your identity in Jesus. You will be fulfilled. You will learn to be all that you were created to be in Christ. So that's why <clears throat> all of these apprenticeship verses that I'm talking about, you know, where you as the disciple are being apprenticed by the master, all these things uh, lead to transformation in Christ. That's, <clears throat> I was in my 20s, in my 20s before I realized that that's what um, these biblical passages were talking about. We begin as apprentices, we begin as disciples, uh, and we conclude as saints, f- fully realized. And our lives are perfectly conformed to Christ. The process begins right now. Eternal life begins right now, not in some distant future. And I don't know how to put this uh, more bluntly, but we are called to be saints, and, and the solemn truth is that if we refuse to become saints, the only alternative is hell. Uh, yes, there's a purgatory, but you don't aim for purgatory. You aim for sanctity. You know, church doesn't teach purgatory so you can postpone striving for holiness. Good heavens. Our eye should be on the prize of Christian perfection, conformity to Christ. And unfortunately, probably most of us don't even have close friends, never mind a parish, in which people are really energized and motivated and excited by the idea of becoming like Christ and tasting the powers of the age to come. You know, too often in our churchiness, we forget, we don't grasp uh, this high calling. We don't have a good picture of it. There's there's a funny story told by the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. He describes a, a town in which only ducks live. And every Sunday, the ducks waddle out of their house, they 
go down the main street to their duck church, and they waddle into the sanctuary and squat in their duck pews. And the duck choir waddles in and takes its place, and the duck minister comes forward, and he opens their duck Bible. I mean, I guess ducks, like every other creature, has their own translation. And uh, he reads to them, Ducks, God has given you wings, and with wings you fly. You can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls will confine you. No fences will hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings, and you can fly like birds. And all the ducks shouted, Amen. And then they waddled home. That is a great picture of what I think the way many church people feel uh, after they attend Mass. They hear of their potential in Christ. They even um, engage in the Eucharist in which they receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, in which they participate in the powers of the age to come. And they agree with all the doctrines uh, that they're born again, that they're sanctified, justified, glorified. But in the end, they don't act upon what they've heard. They simply say amen and then walk on as though they had not encountered the living Christ, the Holy One of all eternity. This is a, this is a problem. There's no... Um, the, the easiest way to try to get beyond this is to just stay immersed in the picture of who Jesus wants you to be in Scripture. I, for me, this is what, what worked. Actually beginning to realize that it was his choice, his creation of me, that allowed me to get excited about becoming not only a follower of Jesus, but wanting him to live his life through me. Now, uh, you know, holiness is a, is a concept which historians of religion talk about quite a bit. And uh, I think it's worth pointing out a few insights from them. Because I've, I've wondered about this, partially because of my own family and partially because of friends, partially because I've served as a pastor uh, early on and always wondered what motivates people to, to live uh, a consistent Christian life? How do they do it? Because the problem is desire. The problem is motivation. And I, I've come to conclude that it's very difficult for human beings to hunger for God, to hunger for sanctity, without encountering, without first of all encountering God. Um, this, is, this is an experience uh, which is transformative. You know, years ago, there was a, a historian of religion called Rudolf Otto, who wrote a book, a very influential book in its day, called The Idea of the Holy. And one of the points that Otto made is that people have a hard time describing an encounter with, holy, with the Holy One. It it's, uh, defies full explanation. People always experience holiness as something other than where they are and what they are at the moment. Uh, also, encounter with the holy elicits fear, a kind of tread, a kind of trauma almost. And you see that in the Old Testament, right? You see time and again, Isaiah 6 is usually the example that's used. You know, this is where Uzzah, uh, King, King uh, uh, Uzziah dies, and, and uh, King Uzziah dies, and, and Isaiah is in the temple, and he's praying there, 
And all of a sudden, there's this vision that he has. You've got the seraphim with six wings. With two wings, they cover their faces. With two, they cover their feet. With two, they're flying. And they're calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And the earth, whole earth, is full of his glory. And people like to point out, this is a, a triple attribution. Holy, holy, holy. That's about, it doesn't, you don't say, that's extreme holiness, right? They don't say love, 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 or justice, justice, justice. They say holy, holy, holy. And that is very, very, very holy, right? <laughs> that's the way uh, Hebrews deal with comparatives. They, they repeat. Uh, they punch it up another notch. So holy, holy, holy. And what happens to Isaiah? Isaiah says, Woe unto me, for I am undone. His identity is unraveling. He's having a crisis. Who is he? He is undone in the presence of God. He sees truly and rightly, correctly, accurately who he is in proportion to the holiness of God the existence of God, and that changes him. Uh, He has a a flaming coal touched to his lips so he can properly proclaim, uh, you know, God in all of his holiness. And that is, that's an important point of this whole thing. Without encountering the living Christ, I think it's difficult to long for him. Again, that's it's up to God to give us the actual graces we need, right? To, to, so our desires change. And I think the way there's a, there's, a, there's a set of instructions that are used in uh, monastic life and also in, in, in the sanctity of the laity in order for God to touch us in a certain way. Because which of us doesn't want our desires changed, right? I mean, you know, you grow in... Uh, I remember talking to a monk about this. We were talking about some... He was doing a little bit of spiritual direction for me. And I said, you know, how long? How long do I f- deal with this, um, this, this this ongoing besetting sin? And he said, well, you, you just you keep fighting fighting back. I said, well, when, when is it going to be... When am I going to get through it? He said, well, uh, we, I don't know. It may stay with you throughout your life in this world. It may be something that's only going to be jarred uh, upon the the shock of death. Now, again, this is advice that he was giving me personally. I'm not necessarily saying this is applicable to everyone. But his point was, we have to recognize that we have a struggle in this world. Our desires aren't all that they should be. Even St. Paul in Romans 7 says, I don't do the things I ought to do. I do the things I ought not to do. Why? How long is this going to go on? Now, that's in Romans 7. Now, in Romans 8, oh, that starts out a whole new way. He starts out saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Romans 7, he's struggling about holiness. He's struggling about becoming the man that he was created to be, and it's painful. And this is a man who has encountered Christ on the Damascus Road, so he's had an encounter with the living God. Uh, 
But he's still struggling in Romans 7. But in Romans 8, it's his awareness of who Jesus is that enables him to pick up the victory and move forward. So this is why I say we don't wait until there's a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. We don't wait until we um, you know, have an encounter uh, with Christ. We don't try to screw ourselves up or manipulate our psychology here either. But there are things we can do to predispose ourselves to be touched by God and to have our desires transformed, or at least bent and turned in a better direction. Number one, for me, open the text of Scripture. Look at what we're supposed to be. Look at the Beatitudes. And remember, that's you. That man that Jesus is describing there is you. Read those passages of St. Paul describing the so-called saints in Corinth and what they're supposed to be, or in Thessalonica. That's for you. It's not for somebody else. It's for you. And in time, I think, one gets, gets starts to get excited. Uh, Eucharistic adoration, another place that I have found most useful in helping to uh, restart in me this encounter uh, with Christ by which my desires are changed and I've begun to hunger for holiness. A little a few thoughts on, on this All Saints Day of trying to become what we were created to be. He calls us saints. That's because he's at work making us saints. And this is a day of great celebration because of that. We look at those who have completed the process. We ask for their help. But never forget that saint is you.